Good night. Good night. Yes, yes, yes. Good night. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Minions, there are a lot of other villains in the world, but I am going to be a super villain. This world is mine for the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. This puny little child thinks he can be a villain. I am pretty despicable. You better look Please stop calling me that. Time to strike! My minions will save me. You like picking on little guys, huh? Well, I am a master of Kung Fu. Teach a new Kung Fu? For smoochy smoochy? I will teach you. So here I go with my son. Now you. This may be the only opportunity that I got. Ah, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Why don't we make this a fair fight? Well, good morning. As you can tell, I got the most critically acclaimed movie of all four weeks. So, this morning, uh, we're going to be walking through uh, Minions Rise of Gru, and I'm going to try my hardest to tie that in as much as possible into the text today. My name is Braden Rodriguez. I'm our student 1825 pastor. Uh, welcome this morning, church family. If you're a guest, welcome as well. Uh, Kale is going to come up in a little bit and kind of uh, give us some direction for guests, and so I'll let him do that. But this morning, as we said, we're in our Now Playing series. We've done this year after year, and for those of you who have been around, you kind of get the gist. Um, for those of our new folks, or maybe you've joined us over this last year, what we like to do in this series is look at the intersection of faith and film. Have a little bit of fun, uh, go to the movies together, right? Have some popcorn, some candy, watch the trailer, and, and then just talk about how these stories that we watch, the, the movies, the television shows, and all those things, how these stories point us to the greatest story. You'll hear us say year in and year out, all good stories point to the greatest story. All good stories point to the greatest story. And, and really just all stories in general will, will direct us as the believer, if we're thinking critically about these things, they will point us to the gospel or we will find that some movies will point us away from the gospel. 
that there are movies that you can watch and you're like, absolutely, I know exactly how this ties in with the scripture and I know, uh, you know, all of those things that, that point to the gospel, you pick those themes up easily and then maybe there's some subject matter in the movies that we watch or the TVs that, uh, TV shows that we watch that point us absolutely the opposite direction. We should never be that way or Jesus never would want that for us. And so all stories point us to the greatest story. So this morning, as we look at uh, Minions, Rise of Gru, maybe some of you have seen it. Um, I'll, I'll give, if not, I'll give you a short little summary of it. Uh, Minions, Rise of Gru is a continuation and a story uh, and of movies called Despicable Me or the Minions uh, franchise, right? Uh, it stars Steve Carell as Gru, uh, and it's a pretty good series for the, for the most part. This is not typically the movie that uh, I would choose to see, and yet I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, when I watched it sitting in my office. Uh, it was this is what I had to do. So uh, thoroughly enjoyed it uh, as I watched it, but if you've seen any of the Despicable Me's, uh, we, we see Steve Carell's character, Gru, um, and he adopts these kids, and he has these minions that serve him, and this is his origin story. Right? How does Gru become a villain? Because in Despicable Me, we see Gru as like a really old, bald man, and he's like adopting these kids, and this is how he grew up. This is how he meets his minions, and how he gets started in his despicable ways, in his villainy. The movie opens up with uh, not Gru, it opens up with these uh, people called the Vicious Six, right? And as you saw in the trailer, it's this league of bad guys, Right, this league of bad guys come together. One of them, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, she's probably the best villain in all of cinematic history, better than Thanos, better than the Joker, any of them. Her name's Nunchuck. She's a nun and she chucks nunchucks at people. It's classic. If you've not seen it, at least look that up uh, for, for what it's worth. And so we, we get this uh, opening of the, the Vicious Six, and uh, they're trying to steal this all-powerful Zodiac Stone, right? So that they can become the, the biggest and baddest bad guys of all time uh, by turning themselves into crazy things like dragons and animals and all of that. And what we see is then the scene shift, right? That these uh, villains, are, they're seeking this all-powerful thing, and then all of a sudden we get Gru. And Gru is in class, it's career day. What do you wanna be when you grow up? He's like, I wanna be a super villain. He's drawing a picture of the vicious six and he's, that's all he wants to do is he wants the chance to meet his, his, I guess you would say heroes, even though they're villains, but he wants to meet his idols. He wants to be a part of the in-group. He loves them uh, and he just wants to be there. He idolizes him. At one point in the movie, he says, he gets this opportunity to meet the vicious six and he says, they're gonna love me because I'm the best, right? And so we see Gru gets an interview with the vicious six and he's gonna finally attain his goal of meeting his idols. And what happens is Gru shows up before the vicious six and they begin to make fun of him. They hate him, they berate him, they, they, they insult him and will try to kill him. And eventually they'll kidnap him and do all of these terrible things to him, right? Never meet your heroes. Or in this case, never meet your villains. That Gru has consistently, all he's ever wanted was to be accepted by them. And he doesn't get the chance. And so all along the way, we see that Gru tries to prove himself for them. He even steals this Zodiac stone from them so that he can gain their approval and it doesn't work. But there's 
the, the Minions part of the story, right? Minions, Rise of Gru. This is a Minions movie. And so on the opposite side, we see as Gru tries to do all of these things, the Minions are always there. They're faithful to him, even though he insults them, tells them to leave. He's, he's trying to chase down his idols. These minions are always there, ready to serve him and ready to love him. And though he sought affirmation in someone else, he already had affirmation at home. And so, as we talk about the intersection of faith and film, doesn't that sound just like the story of the scriptures? That all throughout the scriptures, we see this idea that people like to chase down their idols. They like to chase down their sin, and we know that to be true in our own lives, that we seek down idols and we seek down sin, and they promise much, and yet they deliver death. They promise much. The world's at our fingertips, right? If we can just attain it, we have it. And yet, they let us down time and time again, and then there's the narrative of the scriptures as well, that all along the way, as we chase our idols and we seek our own self-pleasure, right? That there's someone waiting in the wings. There's someone back home who has consistently showed covenant faithfulness and love and want for his people. It's God. That God, the heavenly father, God, the son, God, the spirit, is consistently, though we chase idols, calling for us to come home, even in spite of us insulting him, leaving him, and even spitting in his face, he still wants us. If you have uh, your Bible, you can go ahead and open to the book of Hosea. We're going to be reading in Hosea chapter 2 and 3, but if you'll go to Hosea chapter 1, uh, we're going to kind of walk through that. And if you're a note taker, you can write this down this morning. One point sermon. You ready? Easy. When we seek our idols, they will let us down. When we seek our idols, they will let us down. And yet, there's a second part. When we seek God, he will satisfy us. When we seek God, what we'll find is his faithfulness. What we'll find is his love, his graciousness, his mercifulness, him being slow to anger. As you're in Hosea, Hosea chapter 1, who, what, when, where, right? Maybe you've never been exposed to the book of Hosea. It's an Old Testament book. It's a part of what is called the minor prophets. And you're like, why is it minor? It's not minor because of importance. It's minor just because of the length of the book, right? You've got your major prophets, which are really long. You've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Ezekiel. These are really long prophetic books. And then we have these smaller prophetic books, Hosea being one of them. So not minor in importance, but just minor in length. And we see that this is probably one of the most um, baffling stories in all of Scripture. I think, honestly, it might be one of the most astounding books in the prophets. That God is painting this vivid picture throughout this book. What's happening is the people of Israel and the people of Judah have not yet fallen uh, because of their sin. Right? They've been chasing idols. They've been chasing uh, all of their self-pleasure. They've been doing all of these things and running away from God. And yet, uh, what we find out in some of the later prophetic books is that God does judge them for their sins. But what this book tells us is, hey, you've not fallen yet, but listen. If you continue on seeking your idols, they will let you down. And here is the ramifications of your sin. Here is what will happen if you continue to seek your 
idols. And then probably the most vivid, amazing, and genuinely provocative points of this book is that God looks at his prophet, Hosea, and says, Hosea, I want you to go get married. And not only do I want you uh, to go get married, I want you to go marry a prostitute. That's the PG-13 version of the word used, by the way. I want you to go marry a woman who has made her life that of adultery and idolatry. I want you to go marry a woman that her job is quite literally the antithesis of yours, right? I've called you to be my prophet and she has loved many men for money. And it's amazing, it's astounding. And I know what you're thinking, why in the world would God ask his his prophet to do that? Why? As we read through the book, God gives us his reasonings. This is exactly what my people have done. They were married to me, a faithful and loving husband, and we'll get there in Hosea chapter two, but he says, my people were married to me, and yet they've run away. They've made themselves prostitutes after their false gods, after their bales. And sure enough, we see in chapters one and two, Hosea does exactly what God tells him to do. God tells him to have children with his wife, and, and so he does. Uh, the wife, by the, na- uh, by the way, her name is Gomer. Uh, so ladies, if you're pregnant, that one's for free. Uh, then their kids' names, uh, even better names, I, I, I think so at least. He says, name your kids no mercy, because I'm not gonna have mercy. Actually, name your other child not my people, because essentially what we find out is the people of God are not acting like God's people. So ladies, if you need some good baby names, there you go. No mercy, not my people. Gomer, right? Little long list there. And we see over and over and over and over again in the book of Hosea and really in the entirety of the scriptures that God is crying out to his people, I love you, I want you back. That's the story of Hosea. I love you, I want you back, come here, come be with me. Let's bring it back to Minions, Rise of Gru, right? That Gru, chasing the vicious six the whole time, that's all he wants, he just wants to be a part of his idols, he wants to, he wants to just have relationship with them. And yet, the Minions are there saying, I love you, I want you. There's this uh, uh, point in the movie where uh, the minions meet Gru for the first time, right? Gru puts out this help wanted ad in the newspaper. Kids, if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry. Uh, It's a thing that people used to read for current events, not Google, all right? So Gru puts out this help wanted ad. He needs minions. He needs people to be a part of his despicable plans. And they show up to his house. They knock on the door. Gru opens it, and he sees this motley crew of uh, twinky-looking, denim-wearing things. And he says, uh, and he just slams the door in his face. All the minions waiting outside, he just slams the door in their face. Cut scene, Gru's sitting in his room. It's later that evening, and all of a sudden you hear a knock on the window, and Gru pulls up the blinds, and the minions have actually fabricated rain at this point. They took the water hose and are kind of spraying it, making it look as if they're sadder than they actually are. But they're holding up a sign that say, we heart Gru. That's God in the story. That he stands at the window saying, we love you. I love you. Be with me. Let's pray before we start in God's word. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and how you love us. Father, today, 
Would we run headlong into that love? God, as we open your word and read, would it produce 30, 60, and 100 fold in us? And as the old prayer says, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? And what we have not, would you give us? For the sake of your son, our savior. Amen. Hosea chapter two, verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. Baal here, this word means master. So what he's saying is, hey, I want you to call me husband. I don't want you to just call me master. Also, Baal was a a name used for uh, one of the idols in that culture at that time. So he's saying, I don't want you to use an associative word with your idol and I don't want you to just call me taskmaster, slave driver. I want you to call me husband. Verse 17, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. Remember, that's one of his children's name. He says, actually, I'm gonna have mercy, though you didn't really deserve it. I will say to not my people, that you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. What's happening? This is God speaking through the prophet. Here's what God's saying. Just call me husband. Come home. Be a part of my family. Forget the names of your false gods. Forget the names of your idols, the things that are consistently letting you down and that is eventually going to lead you to destruction if you continue on this path. And what God says is, forget that. I will save you. I will love you. I will remain faithful to you. Go back to the movie. We see that no matter how many time, uh, times Gru tries to leave his minions, no matter uh, how many times Gru berates them, insults them, they stay. They go to pick Gru up from school. All they want to be is a part of Gru's family. They go to pick Gru up from school dressed as his parents, and they start to try to kiss him and hug him. And he's like, guys, you're ruining my reputation. And then you see Gru gets home with them, and he uh, starts to walk through, and they're pretty much his, his slaves. They're doing a whole house renovation for him, for his evil lair. And he begins to just walk through haphazardly as they're injuring themselves, as they don't really know what they're doing. There's wet concrete on the floor, and he begins to make prints through it and doesn't even really care about them. At one point, as he goes to meet the vicious six, he says, guys, I need to do this myself. I'm just, you guys need to stay. Gets home, he begins to insult and would end up firing them. And yet, we have a whole like six movie franchise about how the minions just want to be a part of his family. This is God to the T, church. 
That throughout the stories of scripture, though we have run, though we have looked at God and insulted him and tried to push him away and to keep him at arm's length and run opposite direction from him, he is still faithful to us. That he still wants to be uh, a part of us, that he wants us to be in his family. Let's do a quick survey of the scriptures. Abraham, God says, I will make you a nation. Go have a baby with your wife. He doesn't believe God. He's untrusting. And so he has a baby with a different woman. And yet God is still faithful to him. Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, they're not great fathers. They make questionable decisions. They lie. And yet God is still with them. Moses, God tells multiple times, this is what I want you to do. And Moses repeatedly says, God, don't send me. And yet God is still with him. Samson, the judge, is disobedient, chases women, and breaks his Nazarite vow. God is still with him. David commits adultery, murder, and he is a liar. And yet God is still with him. Solomon, other kings, prophets, priests, New Testament disciples consistently deny God, push him away, and yet God is still with them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says this, that when we are faithless, God remains faithful. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the, entire, in the entirety of God's word, that when we are faithless, unfaithful, prostituting ourselves out to our idols, yet God is still faithful to us, his people. For those who are in Christ and have run far from God, God just says, no, come home. I love the second half of that verse in 2 Timothy it says, for he cannot deny himself. It is a part of the very nature of God for him to be faithful, even in our faithlessness. When we chase idols, God still says, I'm coming. We flip to the New Testament, right? Luke chapter 15, Jesus begins to tell this story of this lost son. The son goes up to his father and he looks at his father and he says, give me my inheritance now. Essentially what he's saying is, I wish you were dead, give me the money. Many of you who are parents right now are thinking, what would happen if my children said that to me? You'd be like, mm, right? And essentially in the culture, this son would have made himself liable to death or at least disownment. That this son should have been kicked out of the house. And yet what does the father do? He gives him his inheritance. The son then runs off and squanders all of the money that he's received on, uh, it says, reckless living. And that at one point, he finally gets so down on his luck, he's out of money, he begins to start feeding pigs. And as a Jewish listener in the first century, if someone's feeding pigs, this is like the lowest of the low, right? Pigs are unclean animals. This is probably a Jewish man. He is, he is down. And it says to the point in which he's so hungry that he begins to long to eat the slop in which he was feeding the pigs, and so it says the son comes to his senses. He says, you know what? The servants in my father's house live better than this. I'll just go home and I'll ask my dad, just make me your servant. Make me your slave. And he's like, surely I'll live better. So he gets up and he goes back home. And as he's walking towards the house, it says the father is sitting there looking. And all of a sudden he sees his son a far way off. And it says the father gets up and runs. This is an undignified act, by the way. Jewish men in this culture, especially of nobility, don't lift up their robes to do any sort of running. The father gets up in an undignified manner, runs to his son, and the son begins to try to tell the story 
right? Father, if you'll just make me a servant. He doesn't even let him get it out. It says that he embraces him and he kisses him on the face and he tells his servants, he says, go get my son a robe, go get him shoes and go get him a ring, all significant of I'm going to restore you to be my son. You won't be a slave any longer. You won't be a slave without shoes, right? Because in that culture, if you don't have shoes, it's a sign of your servitude. He says, no, put shoes on their feet. Give him the authority of my ring and clothe him again. This is the father to us. I was reminded of this in an old hymn written in 1758. It says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness or grace, now like a fetter, bring my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, and prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it and seal it for thy courts above. All of that to say, God, my heart wanders, and yet it has a home in you. God, my heart wants to go other places, and yet I know that you have grace, and that if I come home, your grace will seal me, that I will be your son or daughter again, prone to wander. We continue on in Hosea jumping into chapter three now, there's a shift. God uh, is speaking, there's some poetry, and then we shift into chapter three, there's some narrative that happens. The Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love the cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leketh of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore. Again, prostitute there could be used or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince and without sacrifice or pillar, without an ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall run and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So what has happened now, if you get this loving husband, a husband who has had children with his wife, and the wife runs away, and God says, go get her back. Go get her back. And so what does Hosea do? He does, and he says, so I bought her for 15 shekels, homers and lekeths, and then he has a conversation with his wife, the one he's bought back. He says, just be mine. Don't run anymore. And then God paints the picture, right? As the people that I have, have done this. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to buy them back and we'll get there. But here, if traditions hold true and if customs hold true, Hosea has already paid a bride price for Gomer, that when he gets married to her, he has to bring a price to have her. And if traditions and customs hold true, and if he is the man of God, he is supposed to be, he has spent time in loving her, having children with her. This has been years long process. He has dealt with her in civility and in love. And yet she runs back to a life of adultery, idolatry, in which she has already been freed from. This is why I think this book is so provocative, is because not only has he paid the price once and year after year after year loving her, 
He's now made to pay the price again. It doesn't make sense. At minimum, this is grounds for the divorce of his wife. And in the Levitical law, it is grounds for even death. And yet, he pays for her to get her back. This is quite a silly illustration from the minions, but time and time again, when we see Gru run away, there's these four minions that continually chase down Gru, that they continually pay heavy tolls for Gru, that they, as you saw in the, in the video, they train in Kung Fu and they do all of these things. They nearly die in the desert. They nearly die to these henchmen. And time and time again, Gru has left them for other things and they are still willing to pay the ultimate price for Gru. In the final scene of the movie, they get turned into these small little animals and the bad guys get turned into drakes, uh, dragons and tigers and snakes. Oh my and they're willing to lay down their very life for him in spite of all he's done. As the minions were ready to pay the ultimate price for someone who didn't deserve it, so Hosea goes and buys back a person he has already paid the price for. God is saying, I will buy back my people even though they were already mine from the beginning of all creation. How? Jesus on the cross if you look at the entirety of scripture, you see that in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates his people and they are his. And then we hit Genesis chapter 3 and mankind falls. They begin to seek their own pleasures and idols and sins and they turn away from God. And from the end of Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 20 is a story that we call redemption that the majority of the scriptures is pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming to die on the cross. He did die on the cross and the work is complete at the cross. The price has been paid. That though we have run, though we were already his, he pays the price so that we can come back home. That we can be loved. That we could be wanted. There's this moment in the movie, someone fakes their death and when it's revealed that they're uh, not actually dead, the quote in which Gru says, he says, you're alive, you just blew my mind. How did you do that? And when we hear the gospel, when we hear that Jesus came, died on a cross and actually didn't fake his death, rose again from the grave so that he could pay his blood for us, that he would cover us with his blood, the gospel should do the same thing. You're alive, you just blew my mind. How do you do that? Why do you do that? God, why would you pay the price of your son for me? Even though I've chased idols, even though I've run far. It's because it's in his nature. It says he's slow to anger, gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. He wants his people. And so he makes the way for us to be with him. My quiet time. Isaiah chapter 55 says this, verses one through three. It's beautiful, and this encapsulate, encapsulates everything. Isaiah 55, verses one through three. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without a price and without money. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Listen is what he's saying. Listen 
Come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. It's happening. It says, if you want true satisfaction, come. Right, because when we chase our idols, they will let us down. We will leave unsatisfied. There's a quote that says that every man has a God-shaped hole in his heart. Right, we try to fill it with anything but God and it leaves us still empty and void. It does not satisfy. But here, God through the prophet Isaiah just says, come. You want true satisfaction? Come and drink of the water. That bread that you've already eaten is not real bread at all. He says, come, eat, drink freely. And what doesn't make sense in this passage is he says, come and drink, come and eat. But he also says, buy. Buy the wine and the milk and the bread and the water. And then he says, though, there's no price and you need no money. Why? The price has been paid to drink freely from the well of God. The price has been paid freely to eat a part of God's bread and to be in his land where there's milk and honey. He has paid the price so that we can be with him. Let's pray. If you'd bow your heads and just think with me for a few minutes. As we uh, close down, I want to point to um, a reality and, um, for the believer. Believer, the sermon was mainly for you. Because in reality, there's this connotation that the person was already God's, right? Church, if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, you're already his. And yet what this passage proves to us and all of scripture proves to us is our hearts are prone to wander. That we seek other gods, we seek ourself we put other things on the throne of our hearts. Would you come home? Stop chasing something that ultimately will not satisfy. But would you come and drink for free? Would you come back to the Father's house? There's no speech that you have to prepare. He just says, come home. Drink, the price has been paid. I think all of us in this moment, myself included, have some things that we need to take off the throne of our hearts and to come back home. Would you ask the Lord to show you those things? Would you give those things up? The reality, though, is this. Some in this room have not yet ever been home didn't know there was a home for them to go back to. They've wandered far and they've never heard that there is a God who loves them and who wants them. I'm here telling you today, there's a God who loves you and who wants you. And the invitation is free in the scriptures. It says, today is the day of salvation. That it says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that we believe that Jesus died, rose again, and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that he has all of us. It says we will be saved. 
I'm solely convinced somebody today needs that. They need God's saving grace to taste his love and mercy, goodness, graciousness for the very first time. And you're like, that's me. Would you just ask God? God, would you save me? There's no magic set of words to say. It's the heart. God, would you save me? I've chased everything else but you. God, would you show me your love? Would you forgive me of my sins and my idolatry? Would you take me into the house? Could I drink freely of your water? Father, would you do what only you can do? Would you let us taste and see that you are good? Would we run back home? Would we be with you? Would we get to taste your grace and mercy and love, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time? Remind us of your goodness. God, break our hearts. You paid the price. In Jesus' name, amen.